Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. Hey guys, so just a quick overview here on Panthera Advisors as I think it might be of value to you. So Panthera Advisors exist in order to help founders that are in the process of raising capital or get their company acquired. I actually started the company out of incredible frustration because during my entrepreneurial journey, which involved building, financing, scaling, and exiting companies, I could not find a resource that was founder friendly and I could not get the type of support that I was seeking. So as a result, I made a ton of mistakes along the way. So if you're looking to raise capital or you are looking to get your company acquired or just need some sound financial planning and you're looking to get the best possible outcome in the shortest period of time, feel free to learn more by visiting us at PantheraAdvisors.com or just reach out directly and shoot me a note at Alejandro at PantheraAdvisors.com. Alrighty, hello everyone and welcome to the Deal Maker Show. So I'm very, very excited today. We have an amazing founder. Uh, I think that we're going to be learning a little bit or a lot about building, scaling, also exiting, you name it. You know, the full cycle. So I guess without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, Gina Biancini. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Such, I mean, that was like, like one of the most excited like I thought I had high energy, but <laughs> you are you are taking it to eleven. I love it. I love it. So so Gina, tell us, let's do a little bit of a walk through memory lane. So you were born and raised, you know, kind of like there in the area, and you haven't really moved much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was born and raised in Silicon Valley, in Cupertino, California, in the 70s and 80s, when it was basically orchards, some engineers, some college students. And what was so special about that time in that place was that everyone had an interest. Everybody had a hobby. They, they were tinkerers. Uh, and about two miles away from where I grew up uh, was the homebrew computer club and the guys that were meeting, uh, taking apart com you know, personal computers and putting them back together. And what ultimately came out of that club was Apple Computer. Uh, and for me in my life, uh, my parents weren't, weren't engineers. My father taught American history and my mom was a, a jack of all trades in the best possible way. Uh, and yet what really drove both of them were their interests, their passions, the, the things that they loved not just within work, but outside of work. And so for my father, that was restoring old cars, you know, old Ford model, you know, Model A Fords. Uh, and then he moved up to Porsches and Mercedes and, and fancy all on a teacher's salary. Uh, and my mom, you know, raised and showed guinea pigs and then rabbits. Uh, and what I learned from that era and certainly what I was just instilled with from, you know, a very young age, my grandparents lived around the corner from us and were the founding members of, you know, at the time, the Lions Club and, and the, the Women's Club of Cupertino called the Dioro Club. And my family 
built community. They, they benefited from community and it was just always something that was, was a key part of my childhood. The other thing for me was that my passion was while, while I grew up around technology, I always had friends who were, again, tinkerers and engineers and who loved to build things and play on their, you know, computers. For me, it was an obsession with how do people systems work? You know, how, how do social movements work? How do we go from a culture that is influenced and says smoking is sexy and glamorous to a culture that says smoking is gross? Uh, or, you know, how do I just how does the world evolve? And so fast forward, I was fortunate enough to play field hockey at Stanford. And um, that was actually as important as going to Stanford to me uh, was th this opportunity to be uh, be an athlete and, work and, and play on teams at a, at a competitive level. For me, when I graduated from Stanford, I decided to go into business because I knew nothing about business. Hmm. And so I, uh, I threw my resume into a position that Goldman Sachs had opened up late in their process for an analyst in their high technology group in San Francisco. And that was my first job out of college. And fast forward, I worked on some incredible uh, IPOs and sales of companies and just really started to get immersed in, in the technology side of Silicon Valley. Uh, and you know, just again, happened to be from, from the area. And then in 2003, when the, the sort of the earliest days of social, social networks and user generated content, what, what came to be known as web 2.0, uh, emerged, I had friends and people that were, we, we were just all sort of in the right place at the right time. So one of my close friends at the time founded LinkedIn. Another uh, of my friends, you know, invested in Facebook. Another was, you know, interested in the early days of blogging and all of the other things that came with that just really creative period. For me, what was so uh, special about it was that I had spent, you know, the prior at that point in time, you know, eight years of my career in technology. And when people and connecting people became the focus and function of technology, that just made sense to me. And I felt like in, in just, you know, it certainly wasn't sort of one day in one moment, but just at, at that really creative, interesting, engaged period. And this was right after the dot-com bust. So, you know, people had moved away. It was, it was, it was viewed as, as, not a, a sexy thing to do the way that it is today, but a core group of us were were here in Palo Alto and in San Francisco building out of the ashes of the dot-com bust uh, just a whole new set of companies. Do you, do you think that maybe getting the MBA later from Stanford gave you that kind of mindset or that, that kind of push to go into that direction? Because, I mean, you, you grew up, you know, around all this incredible amount of innovation happening, right? And in the dot-com, I mean, what's happening all around you. So what what was holding you from going at it, you know, full in full motion into entrepreneurship? You know, I mean, it took you some time and you even went to corporate America. Why, why did you do that? That was actually, the it's the opposite. Um, so okay. I started my career 
in corporate America. And yeah. by corporate America, you know, coming out of Stanford in 1994, going to Goldman Sachs was, you know, the equivalent of getting a job at Google or Facebook today. So, yeah, no, no, I agree. you know, I, I, I search, I certainly have always been unapologetically ambitious. Um, so, yeah. So I started at Goldman Sachs in their high technology group, which was an entrepreneurial group at that time. It, again, was five people. It was very small. It was working on, you know, the, the unsexy IPOs until it all changed a year into me being there. So this is 1994, 1995. Then I joined um, a company that I had worked on the IPO for called CKS Group. And the reason that I did that was I wanted to understand, I went from banking where you basically see a number of different companies to working at one company to understand how, you know, acquisitions, equity investments, and new business unit development worked within a company as opposed to being on the advisory side. And then I went to business school out of CKS Group. Uh, and in my, uh, second year of business school, this was, you know, I was in business school during the height of the dot-com boom. So I was in business school from 1998 to 2000. And in my second year of business school, so this is 1999, 2000, my boss from CKS group had moved over to a venture capital firm called Sequoia Capital. And, uh, called me up and was like, Gina, let's go start a company. So right out of business school, I started my, my first company called Harmonic Communications. It was an advertising tracking and measurement company that we raised money from Sequoia and Dentsu and then ultimately sold it to Dentsu. And then it was at that point in time that the emergence of Web 2.0 social networks happened, at which point uh, another friend of mine called me up and was like, Gina, let's go start a company. It happened to me twice, which you know I'm super grateful for. And that was what we started, you know, at, at a moment where there was Facebook and there was LinkedIn and they were beginning to emerge. Our take on it uh, at, at my company it was called Ning, uh, was to create a programmable platform for building social networks, building social applications. Uh, and that is what uh, I did before Mighty Software, which today's mighty networks. Yeah, no, of course, your latest. And in this case, I mean, when you started Ning, you know, you had the experience of having, you know, done the IPO and, you know, exp exposure to how acquisitions look like. And I find that people, you know, normally don't start with understanding, you know, that it's, it's very important to, to really have a, a, a clear vision of what the end goal may look like, you know, at least that, that full cycle of building, scaling, financing and perhaps exiting later on because with money in, there's expectations of money out. So I guess when you were tackling, you know, the opportunity of Ning, would you think that having had that full cycle experience with perhaps, you know, like your first company, Harmonic, I mean, did it give you like more visibility into or, or perhaps more peace of mind as you were tackling the execution? I would actually, I would answer that question very differently. So one, I have I have found in my life and my career that I've made the decision about the next thing I'm doing based on the people involved and what I want to learn next. And I don't actually, like, I never thought about it as like a grand master plan of like, first, I need to like learn how IPOs worked. I wanted to learn how to be a business person. I didn't know how to be a business person. And when I met the people that showed up on, on our campus and were interviewing us out of banking and management consulting uh, and some companies, but for, for the most part, the, the, the recruiters that I was talking to, um, 
I just wanted to be like them. And I was like, oh, I'm going to learn a lot about business. And I don't know anything about business. Like at the time, you know, Stanford doesn't have an undergraduate business program. And I was interested in the impact that business could have on culture and have on society. Uh, I was interested in it as a, another tool to drive action and an impact. So from, from my perspective, it was really about like, what was the next thing that I wanted to learn? And then in the case of, of, of Harmonic, it was that I wanted to start a company. I hadn't done that before. Um, and I thought that was interesting. And in the case of Ning, I wanted to take all the things I had learned at start, in starting a venture-backed company at Harmonic and apply it to another company and another opportunity. And when I started Mighty Software, now Mighty Networks, what I wanted to do was, was to take the things I learned at Ning, uh, really specifically around this customer, creators and small business owners and entrepreneurs uh, that are creating their own communities on, at their own destinations, under their own brands, with their own very flexible way of, flexible and no code way of delivering an incredible experience for their members. To me, and members of their community, to me, that was what I really focused in on when I when I made the decision to launch Mighty Networks. So let's talk about that, and you know, just to close the loop. Obviously, Ning, you know, good outcome, 150 million, you know, exit. So good stuff. So tell us about you know the 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 process of incubating and really bringing to life Mighty Networks. I mean, tell us how did that come about. So what do we do at Mighty Network? So we are a software platform, software as a service platform, where a entrepreneur or a brand can show up at Mighty Networks, start a free trial, put in their credit card and have their own community, online courses, uh, subscriptions, memberships, events, together in one place and under their own brand and instantly available on every platform, iOS, Android, and desktop and mobile web. And the reason that that is so important is that if you, if you are a creator or a entrepreneur or brand, you want to create a place all your own where you can deliver everything that your your members or your customers want in order to master a new topic or master something interesting or important together. So that's why we bring these different pieces together in, in one place. The customer of Mighty Networks is actually very much the same customer that we had at Ning, an individual or a small team or a company that has a, we talk about it as your big purpose, a motivation and a reason to bring people together in their own place, their own website, their own mobile apps with content and courses and community and events together. It's designed fundamentally so that each and every one of those creators, entrepreneurs, and brands can have their own community that gets more valuable to every member with each new person who joins and contributes. What is that in technical speak? It is a network effect. It is a network that gets more valuable to every member with each new person who joins and contributes. And network effects have created 90% of all software value over the last 30 years. It is the thing you want to build. So when I started 
Mighty Networks, I knew that I wanted to serve creators and entrepreneurs and brands. I knew I wanted to build uh, I wanted to build a software as a service platform that was available on every platform. And I knew I wanted to work with an incredible team to deliver uh, real value for people. And you know the way that we think about mighty networks just as, as an aside is what Shopify has done for e-commerce, you know, built at, you know what used to be a very complex stack that you had to have security and inventory and processing and all of the things. It took them, you know, eight years to bring that all together in one place. And the result has been something pretty phenomenal. We're doing the same thing, not for physical commerce, but for digital subscriptions and memberships, bringing together in one place, all the things that a creator or entrepreneur or brand would need to be able to deliver a phenomenal experience that people pay for. Got it. That's how that's how I got here is that I just I fell in love with our customer at Ning and when we, you know, when we sold the company and when I left, uh I I wanted to serve this this customer for the rest of my career. I love it. So so in this case, the business, how did you go about capitalizing the business? Yeah, so I I raised a small seed round uh and that got us to sort of the first version of the of the product. And what was interesting is that we always assumed and and you know wanted to, again get based on our experience at at Ning where we served, you know, we we served 3 million Ning networks created, 300,000 were active on a monthly basis when when I left reaching nearly 100 million people around the world. But the challenge was that in the context of Ning, we thought it was an advertising business when it was a SaaS company. Uh, and so when I started Mighty, it was very important to me. I'm like, I'm gonna, we're going to do it as a SaaS business and it's going to be mobile first. So what was so interesting about my experience at Mighty, the first version of the product was called Mighty Bell. And what we found was that the initial customers for Mighty Bell, the people who wanted it the most, weren't creators and entrepreneurs. It was actually large companies. Our initial capitalization was with a seed round. But very quickly, we actually started generating pretty significant revenue from three big companies, American Express, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, and Intuit. Uh, which has always just been a fantastic company in terms of supporting small businesses uh, and, and emerging uh, technology like Mighty Bell was. And so we actually did something that was a little bit unorthodox, which was that we funded the company for three and a half years on these revenue deals. So we basically had a bunch of non-dilutive capital uh, based on this revenue always with the vision and expectation that we weren't becoming an enterprise software company. So we never hired a enterprise sales force. We never hired enterprise account management. We used these amazing partnerships to build out the underlying infrastructure and feature set of in, in Mighty Bell. And then when the last of those contracts ended, we pivoted and you know renamed the company and put a little bit of a fresh coat of paint on it. Plus, you know, offering new plans uh, at the at the lower end of the market. So we were 
able to very quickly almost come out of nowhere and start serving uh, creators and entrepreneurs. And by having and choosing a model that had lots more customers that we could serve, we started learning even faster. Uh, so, you know, one of my favorite examples of, of what we learned was after putting out Mighty Networks as a, as a new platform for, you know, SMBs, for creators, for individuals, uh, almost immediately people were like, oh my gosh, this is a world-class platform for community. This, this is like better than anything else that's out there. But you know what would make it even better? is building online courses directly into the platform like so that I don't have to go use a separate course platform in addition to having a community and we were taken by surprise with that we didn't think that that was a thing and we we've, we've never heard of these companies that uh are our creators were talking about. Uh, and so we went and did some research and, you know, the, the first phase that, that we tried was to integrate with those platforms, like make it really easy for somebody to go back and forth. And our customers told us was, yeah, that's fine, but no, no, no. We want it actually built in because there's no reason to have courses separate from a community or community separate from courses. So we did that and saw great success. Then people were uh, the same customers and and new customers uh, as they were showing up on the platform were like, oh my gosh, this is so great. This is the way that I want to charge for this, these courses or this community. I want to be able to sell a membership uh, that's bundled with a course. I want to be able to sell a course that's bundled with a membership. I want to be able to choose to have a membership. And then within that membership, I want to be able to add courses into that. All of these different combinations, we then launched with our payments product, uh, which again, it's a feature integrated into to the platform. And we saw more success. And then we launched the second version of our courses and community together in one place, and it just took off. So, you know, Mighty Networks is a story of continued iteration. And I really think about it as we are co-creating with our, with our customers, with those creators and with those entrepreneurs and brands in ways that are invigorating and energizing and just simply so much fun. That's amazing. And, and I believe that you recently closed your Series B as well this year. Is that right? We did. We did. So in April, we announced uh, a $50 million Series B led by Owl Ventures, which is the, which is the largest ed tech fund in the world. And what was fun about that is, you know, while we are not exclusively about education technology, the communities that are being created by hosts, as we call our creators, entrepreneurs, and brands, because after a while, even though I've done a pretty good job of saying, like saying three things instead of one thing, it's just easier to say one thing. <laughs> so, it, you know, it's uh, our hosts, you know, really run, run the, uh, the, the full spectrum of, you know, larger companies and well-known brands from Ted to Burning Man to Anheuser-Busch uh, to, to just really amazing creators like, uh, Sophia Amorosa or, or Yoga with Adrian or Peter Diamandas. 
so we we see very large but the 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 other thing that's been wonderful and i think what what our investors in who joined us in the series b really saw was we're also probably one of the most successful platforms for people who are starting from scratch 76% of the uh, the, the folks who start Mighty Networks and offer paid plans, whether that's a course or whether that is a membership, successfully sell those plans in their Mighty Network. And that is an extraordinarily high number. And we see some of the most successful, like you can create a sustained uh, and scalable Mighty Network uh, that really runs itself at roughly 30 people. So it's a very different model and a different approach than, you know, the the social media, you know, expectations of you have to go build a massive following, a massive audience. On a mighty network, you just simply don't have to do that in order to be successful. And it, it for many of our many of our hosts, many of our customers by starting first with a community that is getting more valuable to every member with each new person who joins and contributes, what they're actually finding is that that is creating a foundation where they can see more revenue faster, more success faster, and allows them to grow faster because they're starting with the strongest foundation possible. That's amazing. So Gina, imagine you go to sleep tonight. And you wake up, I mean, tremendous. I don't even have to uh, imagine it. I am going to go to bed tonight at some point. <laughs> but imagine that you wake up five years later and you wake up in a world where the vision of Mighty Networks is fully realized. What does that world look like? Fundamentally, it is a more interesting, it is a more creative, it is a more vivid, uh, it is a more fulfilling world. And specifically, because we are living and operating in a world where there are millions of different communities that have their own cultures, have their own look and feel, have their own features, that they're not limited by you know one feed to rule them all, which has been the definition of social media for the last decade. The next decade is going to be about freedom and creativity and also a evolution and innovation in the software that is going to make it even easier for a new member to show up to a new community and instantly connect to the most relevant members in that community, instantly understand what that new culture is that they've joined, uh, be just inundated with welcome uh, messages and feelings that make them instantly feel like they belong and that they look around and that there are other members in that community that they want to get to know that 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 as they are reflect as those members are reflected back in themselves they feel like not only do they belong but they have meaning and purpose on a on a journey to master something interesting or important together and that's just simply not what social media will ever get us, but individual and unique communities that are built around interests and passions and goals absolutely will. So, Gina, you've had a, 
And I love that, by the way. I mean, nothing like sense of belonging and, and sense of community really is ultimately what contributes to having joy, you know, in our lives. So, so I can totally see that. Now, imagine, you know, unbelievable journey that you've had as an entrepreneur, building and scaling. Imagine I put you into a time machine and I take you back in time. And I take you back in time to that moment where you were thinking about, you know, maybe like starting something, maybe that moment where you received that call from, from your friend that was, you know, asking you to perhaps, you know, go at it, you know, on, on that first company on, on harmonics. But imagine you have the opportunity of having a chat with that younger Gina and you're able to really bring all your knowledge, you know, the lessons, the good, the bad, the bad, the ugly, you know, everything that you've encountered in, in this journey. And you're able to give that younger Gina one piece of advice before launching a company, what would that be and why, given what you know now? I love that question. I would say the answer actually is very easy. Don't try to do it alone. The, the community, the relationships, making sure that I had even more sort of diverse voices and people that I, I trusted around me so that I could problem solve with not just one or two people, but I could, I could problem solve with 10 people with different perspectives. I think that that would have made a pretty big difference in speed to success, joy of success, and how I certainly, you know, feel like with the beginning uh, and founding of Mighty, Mighty Networks, for me, it was very much about making sure that I immersed myself in a community of not just fellow entrepreneurs, but just people that liked me and loved me for who I was as a person, not what I did or what I do. And that I have a set of people that I can just be myself with and be real with the things that scare me, the things that I'm excited about. And sometimes it actually has to be outside of your company. Because as a leader and as an entrepreneur, it's absolutely okay to say, I don't know. But at the same time, having a strong point of view and, and you know, they say, they say that leadership is lonely for a reason. It's yeah. a cliche because it is true. And I think that the moments and the decision, you know, the worst decisions that I made really was because I let myself get too lonely and, and get too isolated. And I, have not made that mistake in a very long time. And I'm, I'm proud of that. That's very profound, Gina. As the saying goes, you can go faster when you go alone, but farther when you go together. No? So uh, absolutely right. So, so Gina, for the people that are listening, what is the best way for them to reach out and say hi? Sure. Um, so I run our, our mighty uh, community, which is just at host.mn.co or um, while I don't tweet as much as I would like to, uh, I am on Twitter at Gina B. I was, I was early enough on Twitter that I got Gina B. <laughs> I love it. Well, Gina, thank you so much for being on the Dealmaker Show today. Thank you for having me. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember, that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. 
Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.